You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you today. We'll break it all down in this podcast, talking about USC's upset over the then-ranked number 10 Utah Utes and looking ahead towards USC's Pac-12 matchup against the Huskies. It'll be interesting. USC's returning after their 2016 dominant performance, arguably Clay Helton's best road win of his era so far of his I don't, I don't think that's arguably definitely the best road win true maybe the best win overall i mean the, the penn state rose bowl is very hard to top just because of how dramatic the game was but uh as far as the import of the game uh, you know the that game kind of carried that team into the next season i think i, I think there was kind of a letting them know that they could play with the big boys. Type yeah, of the game. we'll get into it more, Shotgun. But before we do, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who did that. We'll be answering your questions towards the end of the show. But first up, Shotgun, let's just dive into it. Stock up who you got. I'm going to start with the lore of Matt Fink. Ooh. I mean, coming in, he had a fantastic game, but just the fact that you know he's waited around so long, even when he had his opportunity last year, he should have been starting that Arizona State game. Instead, he breaks his ribs against Utah. And the fact that he came in against Utah and, and did this back to them is kind of a, you know, a, a payback there for Matt Fink. But getting an opportunity to come in and, and you know, just throwing the deep balls, throwing it up to, and letting his receivers make plays. He made some good reads out there and, and leading the team to the victory. And, you know, if you would have told him on maybe Monday last week after they come back from the BYU loss, like, what do you think about sitting between Matt Liner and Reggie Bush after the game? He'd be like, "What are you talking about?" But that's what happens, you know. And and he he's the star. He's the guy that gets to stand up and lead the band. You know, all the things that that come with being the hero of the night. Uh, I thought was was up there for Matt Fink. That was the Matt Fink game for sure. Yeah, I had Matt Fink on my stock up as well. I just it's always so nice when you see kids grinding so hard and they're waiting in the wings. They don't really get their shot. And so for him to get his opportunity and make the most of it, and like you said, I tweeted out, I'm guessing Matt Fink when he woke up this morning didn't think he would finish the de- the night between Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart. So it's always nice to see that kind of payoff for guys. And also a guy that, you know, stuck stuck with the program, you know, after being third, you know, he could have left. You know, Jack Sears did decide to go into the transfer portal. And, I mean, he did enter the transfer portal. But and he came, came back. back. You know, he never left the program technically. So, and, and but I was impressed with him talking to the media after losing that battle and being behind Keaton Slovis in the, you know, in the pecking order. He talked to us, and, you know, and, and did it with class. And, you know, those are the kind of kids that you end up rooting for is the ones that, you know, put their feelings out there. He's an emotional guy. He, he's willing to say, you know, when he's upset. Um, and, you know, he was hurt by the fact that he was third on the depth chart and they didn't win the job overall. Uh, but, you know, he stuck with it and USC was able to, to he gets an opportunity to take over USC and they get the win behind him throwing the ball. Yeah, without a doubt. Now, I don't want to take away from his performance, but what did you think? I felt like some of the throws he made were kind of 50-50, lob it up to USC's better wide receivers. I mean, do you think if he gets a start, which it looks like against UW, can you really get away with that with UW secondary? So also on my stock up is Michael Pittman Jr. As well. Because that's too. more of a 75-25 ball out there right now. I mean, Pittman was just dominating. Now, he made some really nice throws. There's only one ball where it was just – hey, Michael Pittman, go up and make a catch over the guys. That was the one, the double coverage. The safety was there. The safety didn't make a very good play on it, Julian Blackman. That's a you know a young, quote-unquote, safety because he played cornerback previously. So you know he's a, a green safety at least. So you're, you're attacking a green safety, and you're going with a guy who's got a ton of catches already. But the other balls he was throwing out there, they were really nice place balls. To Michael Pittman, at least, you know, he and Tyler Vaughn's didn't connect as much, you know, especially after the first touchdown. I don't know if, if Vaughn's really had another catch after that that uh, touchdown there, but you know, he struggled to connect there. But he made some really nice passes to to Michael Pittman, and then the one the Amon Ra St. Brown, he kind of threw up on that one, but that was reading that 
They had brought a bl- two blitzers up the middle, so that means that there's at most one guy th- that can sit back, and the safety was not going to get there. You know, unless he threw it too far inside, he didn't do that. He, the safety was able to get there to get a hit, but he wasn't able to break up the pass, and he just trusted his guys. You know, and I think that's something that that will give them an opportunity if you can trust those guys. I mean, that that's the those are the three guys to trust on this team. Well, to your point, I had USC's starting wide receiver core on my stock up because when you have a, a guy come in like Matt Fink, it's such a nice security blanket to have an Amon Ross St. Brown, to have a Tyler Vaughns, where if you need to kind of lob it up a little bit or put a little air underneath it, those guys will come down with the ball. Um, and there's such a, a, a reliable target and even Kyle Whittingham essentially said after the game we had no answer for the receiving core and he was like Michael Pittman did a number on us and so he actually said as a coaching staff we need to do a better job teaching how to defend against elite receivers so you have to be excited about this USC receiving core because they're just uh when they're on they're on yeah, and, and they'll give you a chance, you know, if you can, you can trust them, if you can throw some balls up. Obviously, you've got to get some openings out there. You know, those balls, particularly the ones Pittman was getting behind guys, and he was throwing really nice passes and hitting them in the hands. Um, you know, th- besides the one real jump ball, it's, it's not like they were all 50-50 balls, which I, th- I think kind of got uh, overplayed to an extent um, after the game. But, you know, he, he made some nice throws. They were getting open. That was the big thing. You know, there was a lot of talk about the Utah secondary. I was not as high on them as – you know, going in as some people were, and I think I was kind of proven right on that. Whereas the Washington secondary has consistently produced NFL talent. Yeah. Now, do they have the same level of talent that they've had previously with the Sidney Jones or even you know going back to Marcus Peters type of guys? I don't know if those guys are there or they might be really young. You know, I think Trent McDuffie's a guy that's an NFL player in the future. Uh, he had an interception last week. Um, so I think that there's some talent back there, but I, I think that there may be some matchups USC can attack where they don't have veteran guys because they lost a couple guys last year off that group with Byron Murphy leaving, and, and I think they lost another guy in the draft as well. So I think there's some matchups USC can attack. they got to protect up front too. You know, Washington does a really good job up front – even with less talented players sometimes, you know, they're able to get pressure a lot of times. So can they block up front and, and give Fink a little bit of time or is he going to be kind of trying to scramble out of the pocket too much? You know, I just think that you need to be able to take the pressure off, though. You know, those, receiver, those receivers, they take the pressure off. But you know what else would do that? A little bit of running. A little bit of run game. True. Hold on. We, we can't preempt stock down at all. <laughs> but my question is, though. You're already asking me questions, so don't, don't tell me not to preempt. We're everything. doing like a stock up question <laughs> segment now. It's modified this episode. But as far as UW secondary and how the pre-snap read might be different than post-snap, they, they are good at disguising their coverages. Would you want someone like Fink who maybe showed that he can make better reads? Because I, I guess we came out of the, the BYU game a little bit shaky on where Keaton stands on reading uh, coverages is it better to have Matt Fink in this certain scenario I mean I think both of those guys are pretty inexperienced so you can do different things to disguise things and kind of confuse them that's what disguising coverages is all about is confusing the quarterback at the snap to cause him to wait a half second more you know, and if he waits a half second, does the pass rush get there, or do you close on in a route? You know, those type of things. Um, I think it, with either one of them, there's certain things you probably can do because it's not like they've seen everything yet. True. Matt Fink is older, and hey, he's seen what USC's defenses do in practice, but how much has he seen what other defenses do in practical terms? You know, running a you know a scout team, which is what he's done in the last couple of years, is is not going to necessarily prepare you for you know for a Washington defense because it's much different than what USC does. Well, maybe what about film study? He's done it enough that he might have a better chance of of getting things down faster. I'm not sure. A little bit, but I I just think the it's the same thing with anyone that gets experience. You know, the game slows down type of thing. Yeah, I, I think you gotta you know there's gonna be a a little bit of a, a learning curve for either guy that goes out there because it's going to be their first time with seeing a, a defense that kind of does that. Because now Utah did it a little bit; they tried to ch- you know tried to show some different things, but BYU was pretty you know straightforward. Stanford was pretty st- straightforward. So neither one of those guys has a ton of experience just watching you know seeing one one look to begin with and it being completely different at the you know after the snap which is basically what Clay Hilton said he told them is like don't believe anything you see before yeah. the snap it's going to be different afterwards yeah i'm got to stop picking your brain what else do you have on stock up i got Talano Hufunga obviously yeah. i yeah. mean he had a uh, a tremendous game i think it's five of the last six games he's had double digit tackles 
You know, wow. he's been all over the place. He's probably their most consistent tackler, yeah. at least in space, in open space. He's a guy that makes tackles. And there's question marks about his availability this week. He didn't practice, you know, um, Tuesday or Wednesday. He left the game with what appeared to be a concussion. You know, well, late in the game, so many people didn't really notice it. It was only the last, I want to say, seven plays of defense. So it kind of got overlooked, but he took a big hit because someone else missed a tackle. Uh, but you got a couple guys behind him on C.J. Pollard and, and Chase Williams that can step in. So if he's missing, though, I think that's a huge piece. You know, they've got a couple bodies that they have had some playing experience, but he's been a guy that has changed their defense. He can do some different things back there. And he had a phenomenal game against Utah. He was all over the place. Obviously the 14 tackles, you know, but he was he was playing a lot of he was playing in the box a lot. He was helping out as kind of a third linebacker at times and you know, to slow down the rushing attack that that Utah had. And you know, obviously Zach Moss ended up leaving the game early, but you know, they were game planning for those in the box runs from Zach Moss and stuff, and Utah never really got going with that style of attack that they wanted, uh, you know, early in the game or throughout the game, really even. Yeah, and I, I'll get into Hufunga a little bit later, but for my last stock up, I had Pac 12 Dreams. Uh, I have to use the Clay Helton cliche. They still control their own destiny. Getting a win against Utah is huge for the Pac 12 South and what that means for getting back to the Pac 12 championship. So USC still keeps the hope alive that's true i mean you do even if they lose to washington you still technically kind of control your own destiny because you don't have a south loss that that i mean it, it comes down to those two teams it seemed like most of the year so far you know utah and usc you know the winner of that game because it's basically a two game advantage because you win the game so so you're a game ahead you know just head to head but then you get the tiebreaker so it's a huge thing when you're when you get the wins against teams that are at the top uh, of the the top of the totem pole in the South as well. And, hey, you never know, this this USC-Washington matchup could be a, a potential rematch game. You know, you could see this again in the Pac-12 championship. So sure. uh, this is a game to watch for a lot of uh, different reasons. It would be huge for USC because you start out 3-0 and with a pair of wins against the, the North, which is the much tougher divi- division this year, and you got the – you already got the best team, the expected champion out of the South, and you got that win. That'd be, you know, huge for USC. They would become the odds-on favorite to to be in the Pac-12 championship for sure, and maybe even to win the Pac-12 championship. Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. Exactly. It's a week by week thing with USC. Yeah. It's a very. It's been a roller coaster ride already. So uh, we'll see if it continues or if there's actually an upward trajectory and it continues. And that's could be different. Without a doubt. I've got Giuliano Falanico actually on my list. And Interesting. I think most people would be like, why in the world do you have Giuliano Falanico? Because he's gone from being a third string um, defensive end, rush end, uh, outside linebacker, to he was the guy that came in as the backup this game. So he's gone from not playing at all, you know, when, when Christian Rector was healthy previously. Um, the the Stanford and BYU games, he didn't really play on defense, but he was the guy that was coming in and with the second team, and he had a a couple times where he got to the quarterback. Now he got flagged for one of them for throwing the quarterback down, which I didn't really think was a necessary. I thought it was necessary roughness instead of unnecessary. <laughs> um, so I, I thought that you know that he's getting back to the quarterback. That shows that he's developing some. That just adds an extra body, an extra weapon. They're getting Abdul Malik McLean back this week. I don't know if he's going to be ready to play, but you know he was at least practicing. So just adding some more depth at that spot. So if one guy's not getting to the quarterback or one guy's struggling in a game for whatever reason, you have some other guys you can turn to. Yeah, that's big. What else do you got on stock up? I got Drake Jackson too. Another guy just oh, trying to get yeah, to the quarterback. Said, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was phenomenal in this game. Uh, he he's still making some freshman mistakes. I don't want to overplay uh, and, and make him out to be Leonard Williams already. Um, but he is he's a beast. You know, he got the safety. It was a great rip move there. He's doing some other things. He's relentless. You know, one of my favorite plays was him chasing down uh, Tyler Huntley from behind on a play where he got chipped by a tight end. He was blocked by the offensive lineman, went around him, so the running back comes up to help out. So he faces three blockers, and Tyler Huntley ends up rolling out. And you think, well, okay, well, you've done your job. You, you forced him out of the pocket. No, he, he's like eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. He chases Huntley 12 yards down the field and makes the tackle. I think it was a third and 12, and I think he makes the tackle 11 yards, so forces a fourth down. I mean, that's just, it's, it's incredible to see this kid play. And, you know, I think the sky's the limit for him and, and he's showing how much potential he has already. 
Without a doubt. Especially when you have Christian Rector who's dealing with an ankle injury. To have someone mm-hmm. like Drake Jackson step up in that sense is, is great for the Trojans. But moving on to a different category. Stock down, Shotgun. Who you got? I'm going to start with the running game in general. Yeah, uh, I, I, asked, well. I said Stephen Carr on here and then the running game in, in general. They didn't run the ball very well at all. Um, Stephen Carr... I really like Stephen Carr, and I think, but I think he needs holes. He needs opportunities instead of the other two guys can kind of create their own. You know, they can bull their way to a two or three yard gain. He needs some holes, or else he's going to try to get make guys miss, and that's going to bring more defenders uh, there. But if they get him some holes, he can be special. But I got him on stock down just because the last two games there's been no holes, which I'm sure you're going to mention the offensive line. But yep. you know they they've struggled to to block up there. I didn't put them on stock down though. I'm going to say I didn't put them on stock down because once they changed their scheme in the second half and did some better, you know, did some things that I thought were smarter with the way that Utah was playing, they blocked better. So I thought that they were asking them to do too much early. Now maybe that is maybe that is stock down on an offensive line because they can't do the things you want to do, but when you let them do the things they're better at, they they performed better. So I'm not gonna put them on stock down just because, you know, I, I thought that once the scheme changed, they got better. I think any time that a critical miss block takes out your quarterback, valid point. You have to valid put, point. You have to put them on stock down, and this is the second time this season that that's happened. It's just you can't have critical errors like that. And I understand, like if you watch film study, Shotgun, you pointed out the difference in scheme and how that helped. But why are you doing? I mean, maybe that's on USC's coaches, but why are you doing that in the first place? Like, why are you pulling guys, or why are you having, why are you blocking down with such? large splits with a fast defensive line in Utah. I just it, it it didn't seem like common sense, so I don't understand why you would do that. I feel like that one needed to be explained and unfortunately Tim Drevno, you know, skipped out of practice uh without me seeing him. You know, I was trying to talk to him, but I didn't see he left before I was able to grab him. I don't know if anyone else did, but that was one of the things I wanted to know. You know, it was like did did you guys did they show something different on tape, which is always a possibility. You know, that they're gonna sit back and kind of react. And instead this game they decided, you know what, they got those large splits, we're shooting them. We're shooting the gaps, we're going to attack, attack, attack. And maybe that's what it was. Um it's hard to say without going back and looking through Utah tape and or just having the coaches tell us what you know what they were thinking initially, which is what I would like to do. And it's hard to get you know an answer like that out of Graham Harrell because the scrum is all about quarterbacks and injuries. Yeah, and right you now. did ask about the offensive line, but he kind of labeled it as communication errors. But I don't think he's going to throw his line under the bus. And, yeah. and and he kind of withholds things too because we heard that he had chewed out the offensive line at halftime, but he's not going to mention that to us. He he's an interesting interview in that sense. Yeah, and I I think that the one thing I would give them credit for is that they finally made adjustments later and they were able to run the ball and. Hey, they, they've all mentioned it, and of course they're going to mention it. The one positive out of the running game was that they got the ball with around four minutes left, and they salted the entire game away. You know, the clock was gone. I think Utah had two timeouts at least, too. So you know they did a, a good job there picking up multiple first downs when that's something they struggled with in that game. It was very boom or bust. It was three and outs or, or big plays, kind of like last year's. It was uh, similar to that. Um, which doesn't have the sustainability that you need for a four-minute drive, which is why USC struggled with it last year. But they were able to make some adjustments and be able to pick those ga- those gains up in this game. Yeah, but I had USC's offensive line and run game on stock down. I just don't think you can get away with not having a, a functioning run game each week. You have to because otherwise it's going to be the BYU recipe where they just drop eight and then it's going to make the quarterback's life harder. So I just think that's something they know they need to get that done. It's just if they actually can execute it and get it done. So I talked to Brett Nealon about the, the, this week and you know, facing off against Tonga from BYU and Fotu from uh, Utah, two monster defensive tackles. Fotu is going to be an NFL first or second round pick, I think. Um, and Tonga will be an NFL guy as well. But those guys, he said he learned a lot. You know, he's inexperienced. He's still, he's still green as a, as a center. He's only played a couple games there now. So he had learned, you know, okay, I can't be sloppy with technique. These guys are bigger than me. You know, these guys are stronger. I have to be on my technique every single play. I can't let one play skip skip past. So it's not just, hey, I got to make sure the communication line's doing fine. And then if I, as long as I do okay with the blocking, no, I have to lock this guy up because the defensive tackles were the ones that were destroying all the run plays by pushing pushing the pocket back against against him, against Jalen McKenzie. You know, whenever they would try to do some different things, they were pushing the, the pocket back. So he learned that he's got to do better. 
we'll see how he progresses from this. I think there was a big learning experience for him. I think he'll get better as the season progresses. And I don't think that he necessarily will face anyone that's going to be quite like Fotu uh, in the middle in particular, but either of those guys uh, going forward. They actually, he said that the, uh, the nose guard from Washington is only 290 pounds. It's like, that's 40 pounds difference. 40 to 60 pounds difference. And he's it's 6'3", huge. I believe. So yeah, that's instead like, of 6'5", yeah. like Fotu. So, you know, it's a big difference there, which... You know, you say, well, those are those are all huge guys. Well, huge and really huge are, are a little bit different there. True. And since we're on the topic, I'm actually going to jump to a question that we got from Giles Smiles. He says, hi, guys. The last two weeks have been pretty rough for our offensive center as he has been repeatedly driven three yards into the backfield by our opponent's nose guard. There have been comments made about this being perhaps the main reason for our inability to run the ball as it throws off the timing of the play and dis- disrupts the running lanes. My question is, is that just our last two opponents have had all-world nose guards or is Nealon playing subpar? Dan made sure to note over the summer that Nealon has gotten his weight up to 300, so it's not like he's under size much if at all and he was one of the top centers coming out of high school wasn't he Kyle smiles p.s let's make sure to give him props for excellent snaps so far which is a good point but we kind of already talked about this but take it shotgun yeah i, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both i think both of those guys are really good that he's gone up against and and also give uh credit to the byu backup whose name is escaping me right now it starts with f but he was a uh, fatanea i think is his name but he was a uh he was an all pff pff team of the week player uh, two weeks ago, and Fotu was this week. Now, that's telling you that Nealon's struggling, but I think that it's partly that he he's very raw at that position. He was a good center coming out of high school, but he'd only played the, the position basically one year. He played it his senior year. I don't think he played it before that. I know he was guard you know, earlier in his career at Santa Margarita, and he's he hasn't played football for, you know, he didn't grow up playing football for forever. You know, he lived in Japan for a while. You know, he played more soccer than he did football. You know, when he came to America, when he came back to America, that's when he started playing, you know, American football. So I think it's a confluence of things there. I think that he's going to improve as the season goes on. Um, the fact that his snaps have been almost 100 percent, you know, there's been a couple in the uh, in the kneel down portion that, that people have been freaked out by. Uh, but besides that, you know, they've been really good, good snaps. And the fact that the communication up front, that's the, the bigger concern with the center, you know, playing a young center. And that's something that's happened the last couple of games. They've had some communication issues. Now you go on the road to Washington, that's going to be something to watch this game. You know, are, is there times when there are free runners coming through? That'll be an issue for USC. They've got to be able to communicate on the offensive line. That starts with Nealon. He's that's part of the reason why they really like him at center right now. Is that, that they feel like he's done a great job with the communication, pointing out things, and you know keep, keeping everybody on the same page. Just from watching him in games compared to other centers that I've seen for USC in my time, he he's much more communicative. It's really interesting just to see the difference there. So I I would have to agree with him there. Also with his weight, he may be up to three hundred pounds, but this it, it reminds me a little bit of Austin Jackson coming out. Of high school Austin Jackson was like 260 pounds coming out of high school he put on 30 to 40 pounds and he carried it a little bit different he said he told me after his freshman year he said you know it took me a little while to get used to the the extra weight and how does you know how do I move with this weight I'm not the same it's not I'm not the same athlete necessarily this is Jackson telling you yeah Austin Jackson was saying these things so I think Nealon probably will go through you know I think kind of all guys that put on a lot of weight go through a little bit of a transition period figuring out and I think that's when you learn you know how important your technique is okay i was i was able to do this a little bit better when i was lighter but now i got to rely on my technique rather than the speed or you know whatever it may be that that you know enabled you to to have a, a different type of success when you were you were younger now onto my next stock down and you kind of talked about it already but i had defensive back health granted usc did get isaac taylor stewart back from concussion protocol which is big considering that it looks like they might not have Elijah Griffin, back spasms, and Talanoa Hufunga, like we said, to concussion. The other thing about Talanoa that I think I'm more concerned about than concussion is his AC sprain because those hurt, and that's connected to the collarbone, and that's something that has obviously uh, nagged him for now a season. So I'm curious how that goes. But like you said, I think both OG and Talanoa set the tone on the defense. They are guys who will get in there, make the tackle, and are physical guys. And so I'm really curious that if you don't have those two guys out there against UW, are you setting the tone? Are you having more missed tackles than you're used to? I, I think it could be a game changer not having those two out there. So I'm really curious about that. Yeah, those are your two best DBs to help out in the run game. You know, both of them are willing to to come up and make tackles and take on blocks and and do all the things you have to do to to be a good team defense. You know, you need some DBs to do that, and both of those guys could be out. 
Um, I, I've got stock down. This is my last stock down, but it might take a second. The second dumbest thing in sports. Is this a rant? It, it might be a rant. I don't okay. know. But okay, the second see. dumbest thing in sports. Now, you know what the first dumbest thing is, right? Wide receiver is not catching the ball. That's, that is dumb. That's part of your job. You should do that. However, no, the dumbest thing in sports is dropping the football before you cross the end line. Oh, yeah. Before you cross the goal line. It makes no sense. Like, Deshaun Jackson was the first one to do it. He's just like, hey, I'm just going to drop this here. Like, what, why? Is it cooler that you drop the ball before the line? Like, is that supposed to be cool? I don't, I, I don't understand that at all. That's the dumbest thing in sports. But the second dumbest thing in all of sports to me is slapping each other on the helmet. <laughs> if, I was, if I was a football coach... With all the, the issues and all the concerns about you know, uh, you know head injuries and CTE and you know just concerns and you know the technological advances of helmets and all this stuff, why would you ever slap people on a helmet? It just it's the dumbest thing to me. But when Keaton Slovis gets knocked out and he's coming out of the game, Matt Fink gives him like a little dap and then slaps him on the helmet. What you, the guy just you just saw that he got up and fell over. And on the field, so he obviously he's struggling and likely has a head injury, and you're going to slap him on the head. How does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense to me. One for the road. It's I don't understand why. If I was a coach, I'd say you're not allowed, if anybody touches him on a helmet, it's automatically you're running a lap or whatever. Like there'd be punishment immediately. You have shoulder pads, just slap somebody on the shoulder pads. Did you see there's a gift circulating after last Saturday? Of- a little pat on the butt, you know, whatever. There was a something good happened to a team, and the offensive lineman was so excited with his quarterback, and he just clocked him. I was like, "What are you doing?" Rutgers, of course. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. Piscataway. It's one of my favorite cities to say, but you know, it, it doesn't make any sense why you would punch your quarterback in the face either. But to a similar extent, I don't understand why people, why players slap each other in a helmet. So this is on your stock down. It's on my stock down because when he was coming off, Mad Fink slaps Keaton Slovis in the helmet. Hey, maybe there's an ulterior motive. Maybe oh, he's like, boy. oh, man. No. No? Okay. Bad shotgun. Don't go there. <laughs> but that's a very... No, I don't think there's excellent ulterior motive, but it, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And I saw it, and I was just like, what are you doing? That's a very specific stock down, though. Well done. <laughs> uh, but similarly, I guess, I had Keaton Slovis on stock down, obviously. I also had tackling on stock down. Once again, multiple things from last week carried into this week on my stock down. St- they're still missing tackles, and... I was talking to Dan about this. Like this is this Clancy defense this season seems like a bend but don't break type of defense, and I feel like a lot of the bending comes from missed tackles. The second and twenty-five, John Houston has a clear lane to make the tackle and just misses, and so I I just don't. And then Chase Williams misses the tackle, which he was also held on the play when it wasn't called. And then Isaiah Polamalu misses an initial tackle. He eventually runs him out of bounds. But they, there were three different players that missed tackles in that play. And I, this is a physical team. I don't think that they're shying away from being physical. I just don't think they're given the right opportunity to be ready come game time. I think there's almost like a warm-up period in the actual game of getting tackling and getting that better. And so... I, I had to put ta- tackling down again. Yeah, they're just not consistent with it. You know, the, they'll make some big hits and stuff, but you know, and, they're and, not wrapping up. They're not going to the ground. You know, the way they should be, and they're giving up those extra yardage. And even the play that the Talanoa got hurt on, there was an opportunity to make a tackle for a three-yard gain, maybe instead it turns into a twelve or fifteen, and he and Talanoa gets hit making the tackle on the uh, right at the sideline, and he ends up getting hurt on it. And you have consistency issues when you're not practicing it. You can't. You can't have consistency if you're if you're just not doing it. It's a big question. Like you said, your stock down are pretty much the same as last week. It's a big question. Is this this team? You know, is that you know that's their identity? That's who they're going to be this entire season, or is there going to be improvement? You know, you you always hope to see that a team rises as the season progresses. That's what every coach is hoping from their team. You know, we're going to get better at this and this and this. We'll see our weaknesses. We get better. But when they're consistently being the same issues. You start wondering, okay, is that just who you are? You know, do you have to figure out ways to work around the fact that you're bad at something? Okay, we can't stop screens. What do we do in the interim? You know, what do we do to make sure teams don't run screens or whatever it may be? You know, if we can't stop the run. What do we got to do? Okay, we got to lock down the pass. We got to just not give them the ball. We got to hold the ball for, for the rest of the game because that's who we are. Is that who USC is, or can they get better? Now, I think this is a big game because Washington has their three wide receivers, their three uh, veteran wide receivers. Um, I think they're all seniors, actually, are all under six foot, which tells me that they got some moves. 
And I know Aaron Fuller's got some moves. He, you know, he had the punt return last week. I think Bocelli has some moves as well. We've seen him uh, make some plays in the past. And Chico McClatcher a couple years ago. What a name! It's a good name. Uh, he w- he played in the uh, he didn't play last year for UW. Stepped away from I think personal reasons, but he played in the game that USC you know beat Washington at Washington. And I think he had a pretty big play if I remember correctly. He had a couple catches. So you know there's guys on that team, and you look at you know a guy like Salvan Ahmed if he's back. You know he missed last game from BYU. He's a guy USC really wanted. You know they were really recruiting hard to be a running back because of his elusiveness. So there's some elusive guys on that team. If USC doesn't tackle, it could be a long day, especially with the way that Chris Peterson always uses the entire field. And by that I mean both vertically and laterally. You know, they'll they'll push the ball down the field and they especially can do that now. They have Jacob Eason and they'll they'll run screens to out the wazoo. They'll they'll run, you know, quick uh jet sweeps and stuff. They'll try to get to the edges, which is where USC has struggled. So they're gonna do a lot of that, I expect, but they'll also be able to throw the ball down the field with Jacob Eason. Well if you're talking about matchups i'm really curious about hunter bryant whose responsibility is that on on usc's defense you know it depends on what look that washington gives you know you might see uh the nickelback play in that spot which you know greg johnson if he's in there that's a that's a size matchup uh a size mismatch for washington definitely and then depending on if there's three receivers in it might be a safety you know, you could see Pallia and Itiote having to, to run with him or John Houston. You know, there, it just depends on kind of the, the formations. Now, what if I'm Washington, what matchup do you want? That's the big question. I think Greg Johnson. I think I'm going for the size there. Or Hunter Bryant's kind of a dynamic athlete. You know, if I get him against Pallia and Itiote, I know EA is really good coming forward. But have we really seen him go backwards in coverage? I don't know that, that we've seen that from him. I want to test that and see, okay, make him make a play, make him knock a pass down, and if if, uh, if you can get that matchup. Now, maybe USC counters it by playing some zone and stuff in the middle of the field. There, this, that's one of the matchups that will be fun to watch and you know, see yeah. the back and forth of the coaches in that one. My final stock down was officiating. We went from a game, USC-BYU, where there were almost no calls, and then it seemed like the pendulum swing, USC-Utah, Everything was called. And then there were some non-calls where they were called before. I don't know. I'm just... And then the Reggie Bush flag. Come There's, on. That, that's the only one that really matters. So the, the BYU game was called really loose. This one was called really tight, which helped out USC's defensive line, obviously, because they were getting a bunch of holding calls. Uh, but the one that stands out is that. Like, first off, why are you... And it wasn't even... This guy wasn't even the one that threw the flag, but the guy running in to break it up. Mr. No Fun, as I have labeled him. You have. Uh, you know, coming in and saying, get out of here, get out of here. You read his lips on the broadcast. Wh- why? If, if they're going to get a 15-yard penalty, like, what does it matter? Why do you have to stop that? I, I didn't understand it at all. And then another referee comes in and throws the flag. For what? Over excessive celebration? No. They're just celebrating with the team, and someone from the crowd happened to be there. This was a terrible flag, a terrible thing. It was terrible of uh, of USC not to show the entire highlight. The NCAA's not letting them or whatever. It was terrible of Fox not playing it up even bigger. Just which it was makes me wonder if Fox was told like, "Hey, calm it down." You gotta go. It's gonna keep it down. But like, uh, we paid for these rights. We're not beholden to the NCAA's stranglehold on USC over Reggie Bush. We'll do what the hell we want. Well. Since we're on the topic, let's just go straight into <laughs> heard it on the sideline. Obviously, one of those was Reggie Bush back in the Coliseum. I was really curious about how that would go, and it was just fascinating to watch him because he was he was a little timid. He would kind of hang back. I think he didn't want to mess anything up because uh, I watched Matt Liner and President Carol Folt talk to each other, and he definitely like stepped back and kind of got out of the way. And so it was really interesting. Uh, seeing him back in the Coliseum, seeing the fans interact with him, the Reggie chants, all that stuff, seeing Marquis step uh, with the, the daff. And I talked to Marquis after the game, and he was like, yeah, I'm probably going to get ripped for that in meetings <laughs> later. But I was like, in my mind, I was like, uh, worth it, like kind of worth it. you know. So it was really interesting to watch that whole dynamic happen. So media members are supposed to be impartial, unbiased, but uh, we don't know what about TV people. They can do whatever they want. Because Leinert was going crazy. Reggie was super excited on that touchdown. I'm sure he was at other times in the game, too. So it was fun to see those guys, especially Reggie, seeing him back in the Coliseum, seeing him having a good time. And I bet he was a little timid because I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overstep my bounds here. But then when the game gets tight and someone scores a touchdown right in front of you, you're going to get excited. Yeah, without a doubt. 
I, I, one of my hurdits is during one of the TV timeouts, there was so much coaching going on, on the sideline with the defense. I thought it was really interesting. You had Clancy come over to the defensive line. You had Chad Kay going crazy, which I'll get to in a minute. You know, uh, talking about this was right after Tyler Huntley had escaped a sack. He had been tackled on a, I think it was like a third and 12. They tackled him after five or six yards. I think it was a field goal opportunity. I can't remember exactly. But Chad Kay's going crazy on the defensive line. Uh, Clancy Pendergast comes over and is talking about specifics there. I go over and I get some photos there. I go over to the linebackers. Johnny Nansen's got Palagia and Iteote and John Houston uh, Jr. sitting side by side, going over different looks, go, you know, diagramming plays up. I go over a little bit more. Chris Hawkins is talking to one of the safeties. Greg Burns is drawing up something with Chase Williams. You know, and uh, Dave Campo's over just kind of looking over their shoulder. Just a ton of coaching going on amongst the different position groups. I thought it was really interesting because there were times last year where I felt like there was maybe one or two coaches would be doing that. But it just like the fact that Greg Burns had a whiteboard out, like you don't necessarily see DB coaches all the time using whiteboards. True. So I thought it was interesting to see him over there and Clancy kind of popping in and out of each of the position groups and, and going along the, the line. Um, I just thought it was interesting how much coaching was going on and also the players. Isaiah Paul Mal, so after Greg Burns had talked to, to I can't remember exactly, I think he was talking to Chris Steele actually, and Chris Hawkins had talked to someone. Isaiah Paul Mal is standing up and he's talking to. Chase Williams. He's talking to Chase Williams about what he needs to do in the nickel slot, uh, in the nickel spot, and then also Jordan Iasefa is over talking with the linebackers, and he's pointing out something. He's using hand motions and directing, you know, directing guys over there. So you see the older guys and how much this defense, the camaraderie that they have, that they can take, they can take coaching from each other as well as the coaches. I thought it was a really interesting uh, kind of dynamic to see all the different players and coaches that were doing coaching and taking coaching. Yeah, that's really interesting and obviously a good sign. For for this defense because I think you can never have too much learning. But I think that is a good segue into the next hurt that you have as well. So during that, Chad K was, you know, Chad Kawahaha was furious, furious. And we've seen him a couple times, you know, get really mad on the sideline. And, and most of it stems from guys not getting sacks. You know, they have opportunities in the backfield and they're just not getting the quarterback to the ground. This was another time they basically sandwiched Tyler Huntley and they let him squeeze right through the middle, even though they, you know, they had someone in the front, they had someone coming from both sides. Should have been a sack. They let him squeeze through. He, he doesn't get a first down, but just the, the concept of it. He's he's going crazy. He's slamming his whiteboard on his chair. He's like, "We gotta get him down. We gotta get him down." Somehow, I don't know exactly how. Jay Tufeli gets hit by the whiteboard. Like I think he had a cut over his eye, or did he get hit in the eye? He got hit in the eye, and they okay. had to, the trainers had to flush out his eye and put a, a new contact in. Apparently, he wears glasses, which I didn't know. I've seen him with glasses on, uh, so I didn't know exactly what happened. But I could just see he had his head, his head in his hand, and Chad K was like, "Did I get you?" He's like, and he was he was so remorseful for it. Like I don't know, I don't know if the the whiteboard bounced off the chair and bounced up in it. I don't know exactly how it happened. I didn't exactly see. I was right behind and I was shooting photos of Chad K going crazy. But you know, somehow the whiteboard hit him in the eye, and he was out for the next two series. So it ended up being like it wasn't like oh, you got bumped on your head. You know, on accident, someone, you know, you bumped your head on something. Yeah. It wasn't like that. It wasn't, you got scratched. No, it was, you know, he, he had something in his eye. He couldn't participate. Um, and I'm like, I, I walked down the field. I'm like, oh, I think he got hit. And then I'm like, wait, he's not in there. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just a rotational thing. Next drive, nope, still not in there. And I saw him, like, with the eye drops and stuff on the sideline. So, you know, that was a part of the reason. That's a crazy way, but that was – you know, it's it's USC. There's always something happening, right? For sure. And the funny thing is, Eagle Eye Shotgun was the only one who really noticed that. And I got to talk to Tefele after the game. And so I asked him about it. And he made this face like, how do you know that happened? Like, <laughs> and he kind of laughed like, I'm so confused right now. So it's always interesting when you observe things that guys don't realize you do. Uh, but to transition into my herder on the sideline, I'm What's actually going to read a question we got from Jackson in Virginia who said, hey, Keelan Shotgun, what a bonkers game against Utah. I just wanted to give a shout out to Shotgun, who is clearly seen behind the referee when he gives the safety call. <laughs> I bet it was pretty sweet being that close to Jake Jackson and making an awesome play. Keep up the great work. Fight on. So, Jackson... Mr. Shotgun, if you look at the the replay, has a big grin on his face and then goes back to shooting photos. And Shotgun, why don't you tell the people why you looked so happy? Because I told you right before that play, I was like, this is going to be a safety. He's going to save you right here. And I was just hoping. Now, you do this a lot. You... I, I try to pick plays. And, and part of it is because I'm shooting photos, especially when USC's in the red zone. I try to read what their formation is from what I've seen on tape and try to guess 
where I think the ball is going. Uh, sometimes I'm dead right, and I get a great photo like Valus Jones coming in, taking a knee, and, and pointing to the sky his first touchdown. You know, that Ooh, that's was, one of my favorite photos that you shot. And and that was all because I I, look, I read the the thing and I think okay I think I think this is what they're doing. There's certain times I'm like this is the guy they've been going to maybe they'll do this. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the play is all the way on the other side. Usually I try to I I'm hoping that Keeley's on that side so at least we got good video of it. Um, and then Always I'll get try. some get some uh, reaction shots or whatever. But on this one I and every once in a while I'll lay down on the ground just to try to get the hero shot is what they call it. You know. And with the Coliseum in the background, especially on that end, it makes for really good photos. You know, the defense coming forward because you don't you don't necessarily get them. Uh, you don't get those type of shots with the defense all the time. And it worked out for me that Drake Jackson had a terrific move, and it was basically running right towards me. I was able to get some great shots of it. And when he threw the ball, and I saw the referees discussing it, I started tapping Keely's like I was like, "It's a safety! It's a safety!" I you called like, it. Just- <laughs> killing my ankle and i'm trying to film and keep a steady hand and i'm like i thought i was missing something important so then i like do this like like move trying to see and i'm like shotgun and you're just so happy you're like nah. so yeah it was it was interesting so everyone was like shotgun you're on tv and what you see is you being the the smart be the what yeah the, be the you what? being the little uh uh what, what's a pc way of saying that? <laughs> the smart butt that you are uh very happy about being right there. Uh, what else you got for her at Shotgun? Uh, after the game, there were a couple players. I'm not going to name who they were, but they were talking about Zach Moss. And, oh. You know, because Zach Moss had some stuff to say about USC and their loss to BYU. And, hey, we're just going to increase that. I think he said increase that uh, that pain or something like that. He said something to the effect. A little trash talk last week because Utah played after USC did, and they'd already seen that they lost. And there were a couple players uh, on the defensive side that were talking and kind of laughing and they're like, why did Zach Moss run his mouth and he can't even finish a game? Ooh, that's a spice. <laughs> so I thought it was pretty funny uh, that, that they were going after a guy that got injured in the game uh, that they helped cause, I think. Did you see where he got injured? I never picked it out. So his offensive lineman fell on him after on the same play that both Christian Richter and uh, John Houston both kind of kind of sandwiched his shoulder too. So I think that the combined of those two efforts uh, between USC's defenders and the offensive lineman falling on him uh, did it so it was a, early in the second quarter I think the first drive he has a run up the middle and then he goes to the sideline you can you can see him on the broadcast say it's my shoulder and I think he'd had some issues with the AC's uh, joint in the past but worked out good for USC because that guy's a beast he's hard to tackle true my last heard it is a preview heard it it's preview heard it. Yes. okay let's see I'm excited because this is gonna be my last Pac-12 stadium to check off the list the the Infinity Stone, <laughs> the last one in the gauntlet. I will uh, check it off the list. And Shotgun, I'm very sad because you will not be there. No, I'll be at a wedding and having a great time. Hopefully hopefully, I have, have internet connection to be able to watch the game. Which is weird because in 2016, I missed that game because of a wedding. And I literally <laughs> watched it during the reception. <laughs> like a horrible person, but I watched it. So parallel stories there. Yeah, so we're always watching. Even when we have to go to weddings. True. Which don't get married in football season, guys. Come yeah. on, or or look and see when USC's bye week is, and then that's fine. I'll come to your wedding then. Sure. For all the family feuders that want us at their weddings. I love weddings. Of I'm, I'm down to attend. We're like, uh, you know how you can send it to like Mickey Mouse or something? Like <laughs> wedding advice? <laughs> Just send it to the feud pod, your wedding advice. There you go. We'll be there. Moving on to agree, disagree. Let's start off with the first one. Mm-hmm. Now, well, Clay Helton. Don't you w- always start with the first one? <laughs> Shut up. These are the things you should leave in. <laughs> They sound more feudy. True, that's true. Um, fine, I won't edit it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Our first agree, disagree. Uh, Clay Helton was asked about competition and how, you know, the roster's always open. Competition. Well, does that apply okay. to... Does, exactly. Does that apply to the quarterback position? So, therefore, agree, disagree, Matt Fink should have an opportunity to win the starting job. I agree. Especially if Fink comes out and lights it up this week, and for some reason Slovis isn't ready, and he does it against Notre Dame too. Especially those two teams on the you know on the road. True. How do you not say, yeah, that's our quarterback. We're going with him. I know you never want an injury to determine the depth chart in that way. You don't want someone to lose their starting spot because of an injury. But if someone is showing you that they finally got their opportunity, and they're making the most of it. How, like when Buck Allen got put in there and suddenly he was running all over the place, do you suddenly be like, well, Trey Madden's healthy now, so we're just going to put 
put him back in instead of you. Running back's a little bit more difficult. Was Trey Madden ever healthy? Unfortunately for him. True. But it's a little bit different because running backs, you can switch them in and out rather than a quarterback. But my point is, like, if someone is on fire, you, you stick with the high hand. You know, it's NBA Jam style. You know, you, that guy's going to shoot the ball every time until he runs out of fire. And then if it happens and, you know, he starts struggling against a certain thing or something and you want to go back to Slovis, then, you know, I don't think people were like, oh, my God, how can you go back to this guy? Well, he was our starter and he was higher on the depth chart, and this guy's now struggling a little bit. But I think especially at the quarterback position, if someone gets hot, you go with it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. I just don't think this coaching staff will do that. In particular, Clay Hilton. I, it, the question says, should have an opportunity True. now will have an opportunity true moving on to our second you said hot hand and we're gonna talk about it there has to be a better way to incorporate marquee step into usc's run game i agree with a caveat um i think i told you this when we're watching when we're doing film study watching the game over that if you're not gonna block then marquee step is the guy you gotta get in there if you're not blocking and basically there's going to be a defender there, he's the guy because he can run over a guy. He's going to power through the first tackler. If you're going to create a hole, then Stephen Carr needs to be in there. Now, Vi can do a little bit of everything, and I think that's why he's the starter is because he's Mr. Versatility. You can't really shut him down necessarily as a defense. He catches the ball. He pass blocks. He does all those things. Now, how much is Marquis Step being third because of his – pass blocking or fumbling which we never really saw an issue even though he had the one to BYU game they keep oh yeah fumbling was an issue we never saw that in the spring or fall for if one of those other things is the reason maybe that's why he's third then I see why you're doing it but yeah I would incorporate him you know I'd you know put him in the third and one situations you saw how well he did at the end of the game in those situations and that's what all they used him for you know, he had three carries for 11 yards, and they were all short yardage or goal line situations. Goal line being five yards away, I think, on the touchdown run. Um, but if you can get him into the flow and do that, now you can't do it like Fresno State. People were claiming, like, why Why is he not in a fourth and one? I would not have put him in on that in that situation. I, you can't put somebody in the fourth quarter and their first carry is a third and one, you know, we need this type of play. Yeah. Now if it's third quarter or second quarter and you have those situations yes that's you know earlier in the game and that you even if he's only has he has a carry in the first quarter he has a carry in the third quarter and then you need to south the game away like they did that's fine because you've had a couple carries even though if there's a big time I just think you need a little bit uh you need to get a little bit of juice going uh earlier in the game before the biggest play and suddenly we're throwing you know we're on the goal line we're throwing a fade to Josh Follow his first ever pass attempt yeah here on the family feud podcast we're very anti throwing players in for a critical play on their first play of the game or first pass attempt of their career joshua uh yeah Devin Ag- williams agree yes agreed we've mentioned all of those that's <laughs> why i'm saying that but yes yeah, so you agree i agree that there's a better way to incorporate him i would try to get him in for some some short yards carries earlier in the game and just in use some of that straightforward running even if it's just to test the defense early in the game yeah you know why did it take you to the fourth quarter before you decided that was the better way to block? Was it just straight ahead? Why didn't you, you know, when you're, you know, they always say that they script plays. Now, I don't know how much Graham Harrell does that, but they, they script plays, most offense coordinators, to just test the defense and see what is working and see, see how the defense is responding to it. So why not have that be one of the plays? Now, if you do it every week with him, obviously they're going to key on that. Yeah. But there's different ways to incorporate him, yes, and I think they should. Yeah, I com- I agree, and especially on the point where if you're not going to get the holes, if you're not going to get what you need out of your offensive line, you kind of have to go with a step option where it is successful because you can't just settle with not having run production just to play Carr. I think that I think that Carr probably sees the holes and is patient better than Marquis Step, but Marquis Step can burst through uh, a tackler, an arm tackle, and pick up yards where Stephen Carr is not going to do the same. So I think they have different skill sets, and I think it depends on how you're blocking each game is, is probably the best way I can put it. Agreed. On that note, USC's offensive line is playing better than it did last season. Well, that's a tough one. Because obviously they haven't played great these last two weeks. You know, they didn't run the ball well against BYU. They ran it okay. Uh, and then they really struggled against... Utah, but like I said, I think it was more schematic there than their play itself. So I'm giving them a little bit of a pass. I think they are playing better. I think they're playing better than they were last last year. Even man, it's hard to say that when you when you've had two quarterbacks get injured. But I feel like last year, JT Daniels took so many hits that could have injured somebody. 
He just didn't happen to get injured. But he took a bunch of hits, especially early in the season. They got a little bit better as the season progressed. Um, and if this group does that, then they'll progress from giving up those couple of hits to giving up no hits, whereas last year was giving up a bunch to giving up a couple. So that's why I think they're they're playing better than last year. They're communicating more, and they seem to be in sync with each other a little bit better than last year's group. The weird thing is I feel like you can see the potential in this group mm-hmm. more so than you can last year. Last year it was just like, what is happening? Like this is just not getting better each week. And I do think that there are some scheme things, but at the same time they're still not getting it done to where they need to. So that's where I why I wanted to put this in because I just don't know where I lie on this. And last year there were complete and utter breakdowns. Yeah. I, 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 I bring it up probably way too much, but the screen pass, I think it was against Texas, where Stephen Carr had four blockers in front of him with three defenders and no one got blocked and he got tackled for a loss. Those type of things aren't happening. If They, they may have one person get beat, but it's not the entire line is getting beat at the same time, which is what happened sometimes last year. Yeah. Moving on to our fourth agree-disagree, the Trojans bend but don't break style of defense will eventually catch up to them. Yeah, I agree, uh, because eventually someone's going to find a good red zone play or something against you or a trick play, and they pop a couple, and suddenly your bend but don't break has become broken. Uh, so I, I think that they've got to do a better job of getting off the field on third down, so that's one of their, their biggest things that they emphasize. And they've done an okay job of that this season. Their numbers aren't terrible there, uh, but you you got to get rid of some of those third longs. And creating some turnovers, some more turnovers. They've done a decent job of that, but there's still a negative turnover differential right now. Part of that's on the offense. They've gained five turnovers, but still need some more. You know, 1.25 per game is not going to – it's okay, but it's not great. You know, you would like to get two per game. If they get two per game, then you, you start to change the field position for your offense. You start to get off the field more. You, you're – Instead of bending but not breaking, you're taking the ball away and you're you're breaking the other team. One thing that people were getting at this week is like how many big plays that Pendergast defense gives up and has given up this season. But I feel like that's just a staple of Clancy's defense. Like I don't, I just not a good staple. It's not a good staple, but that's just what this defense is. And I just feel you're barking up the wrong tree to try and think that this will change. I mean, they try to get explosive plays against the offense. You know, they're going for takeaways. They're going for sacks and, you know, negative plays, which is why I say you got to get more turnovers. Yeah. You got, if you're going to be a boom or bust, you know, you're going to give up some big plays, but you're going to attack, be attacking defense like that and you're going to blitz. You got to be able to get some more sacks too. You know, they got to be better than like two sacks per game. They got to get three, four, or five in some games uh, and kind of boost that average up. It, it's similar to the discussion we had on the tunnel vision on, on Sunday about hero ball. Yeah. You know, bend but don't break is fine. You know, you can win games that way, but it's not a sustainable method, you know, because eventually someone's going to get a couple of plays, go their way in the red zone and they score a touchdown instead of a field goal and you lose a game because of it. You know, you got to be able to stop some people on the other side because it also helps your offense with field position and all that type of stuff as well. To your point about sacks so far this season I'm really curious about this game with Jacob Eason because he's a pro style uh, pocket quarterback and he's not going to be a mobile guy like USC has seen three out of the four games this season so because Chad K has talked about like a, a prison rush basically where you're it's a contained rush where you're going 85 percent where you're kind of scared that the the guy will slip out of the pocket so I'm really curious now that you know that okay this guy's not going to take off can they go full speed and kind of unleash what this defense can do yeah I think that they have a better chance of creating some havoc in the backfield if you don't have to worry about the guy taking off running obviously it makes it a little bit easier and especially if you know where your point of attack is you know so you're not going too wide and suddenly he's moved up in the pocket now we'll see what you don't have to be mobile to be a good to have good pocket presence. Look at Tom Brady. Brady's one of the best as far as moving around the pocket, you know, feeling the feeling where the pressure is coming from and scooting away from it. You don't have to run away from it. You just got to scoot away from it. Take a couple steps. So we'll see how Eason does with that. You know, he's not as effective when he's when his feet are being moved. So that's going to be a big thing for to help out the secondary too. If they get some pressure, and even even if he's just throwing off his back foot, those type of things, you got to get a little pressure on him to rattle him. If he sits back there, he's going to dice up the defense, especially with the injuries, the injury concerns that they have there. And they're averaging two point seven five sacks per game, which is okay. Yeah, it's thirty second in the country, but how many opportunities that it missed. Yep. You know, if you think about the, the chances they have, that, that's why this defensive line is 
very close to being elite. If they, you know, if they pull down one more of those per game, they're tied with Oregon for, you know, if they have 3.75, which they've had those opportunities. There's been plenty of chances where they've got pressures but not being in the sack. Then they're tied with Oregon for the conference lead. And the, the nation best is, is five per game for uh, Florida and Virginia. But, you know, I think that they're fully capable of being able to do that, to get three, more than three, get to four, get to five sacks and average that. You know, they are plenty capable with Drake Jackson, Christian Rector, and the work those two defense tackles in particular are doing in the middle to stuff everything is helping out all those edge rushers as well. Which is why the tackling point and the, the lack of tackling in practice is so frustrating if you're a USC fan because they could have opportunities to to be better at at not having the quarterback evade them as easily as it looks on Saturday so it's to me it's it's almost hampering what this defensive front could be based on how they're just they don't look prepared when a quarterback is able to move I just think it's hard to to be good at tackling when you don't do it that's my point I agree with you okay wow all righty well let's move on to questions first up our buddy may bet Send us an email saying, hello, Keely and Shotgun. This is Maybet from Ontario. I have a couple questions. One, my understanding is that Jack Sears entered the NCAA transfer portal, or porthole for Jarred, which is hilarious. <laughs> Do you have an update on his status? He's still in the portal, and he has not been at practice. I've still tried to find out if he's been reached out to, but we haven't heard anything. So as of now, his status is the same. He is still a USC student, but not a member of the football team at this moment. And then our second question is, how can we improve on our run game? Block. I mean, it's pretty simple. <laughs> That's what you said last week. <laughs> it's the same thing. I mean, you got to block better. Uh, the offense line, I, I don't think the running backs are doing anything. They're just like, man, you got to do better. No, but the offense line has to block better. They have to consistently get their blocks and, and hold them. At the BYU game, it was it was getting to the second level and not holding the blocks at the second level. There were opportunities to gain more yards. This game, it was more the defensive tackles or, or not, the entire defensive line. They were just shooting the gaps really well when USC was trying to pull and trying to reach. And when they changed their blocking scheme, you saw USC able to gain some gar- yards there in the fourth quarter. Next up, we have a question from Steven. He says, assuming Keen Slovis is still out on concussion protocol this Saturday, who is the backup quarterback to Matt Fink? Given that we're losing a quarterback every other game this season, this is not a trivial question. Has anyone heard if Helton has seriously tried to bring back Jack Sears to the team? I mean, we already answered this with Maybet about Jack Sears, but... Yeah, we don't know how much, how serious the conversation is. Has anybody reached out to Jack? We don't know that. Let's look at the, the depth chart right now as it is, though, with no Jack Sears on there, with no JT Daniels, with Keaton Slovis potentially out this game. So you got Matt Fink. And then you got Brandon Purdue, who is a converted safety now, is technically what he, his, his role is this year. But he said he's a quarterback by heart. He's He was a quarterback uh, for Oaks Christian. He went to a couple of different junior colleges, played some quarterback in New Mexico, I believe it was. Uh, and then you know, he ended up at USC. He was a, a scout team quarterback last year for USC and then trans transitioned over to the defensive side and was playing safety in the spring and through fall camp and, you know, through the season until JT Daniels got hurt and now suddenly he's back to being quarterback so and Graham Harrell was asked about him you know how extensive would the package be if he had to go in he said not no not really not much there wouldn't be much there Harrell seemed to have the mindset like if we're there we're in deep trouble because he said like I'll even and put there in, would be yeah well without a doubt but he said I'll even put in Amon Ross St. Brown and we've seen Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's both get some time uh, some quarterback reps post practice, so it's interesting seeing those two kind of lob it up there. But and Clay I, Hilton said that too. You know yeah. that Tyler Vaughn's was taking some snaps, and I, those are emergency situation things. But hey, you got to be prepared. Those yeah. those are good things to do. Tyler Vaughn's obviously has a huge arm. Uh, you know you, which is like I don't want bad things to happen. You don't want injuries to happen. But I just think the chaos theory of putting Tyler Vaughn's back there would be really interesting to see. But you just don't want that to happen. But I had to throw it out there. Well, I told you last game when Fink came in, I was like, I hope one one play catches a cramp just so we have to see Brandon Purdue go in. I just wanted to see you know this guy that that was a safety and you know had spent time in in multiple different uh, junior colleges. Went to school like 42 years ago. I think he, he and Ben Griffiths went to elementary school. Together. I don't know. You know. He's just an older guy, and uh, you know, I thought it would be interesting to see him have to go in for one play. If Matt Fink's helmet popped off or something, he has yeah. to go out for a play. He said that being a safety in Clancy's d- defense made him a better quarterback. He said he has a much better understanding of defensive schemes because of that. A lot of times that's the case. You, know, you play on one side, you get an opportunity to learn a lot from the other side. Without a doubt. 
Since I already said some of the questions earlier in the show, we have two more. This one's from Aiden. It's interesting. He says, I have a question specifically for Keely. I know you mentioned that you were a diehard UCLA fan growing up. He puts boo in parentheses. And Reggie really dominated the Bruins during his time at USC. So was Reggie someone you grew up, quote unquote, hating in a sports fan sense, of course? Did that make it weird at all for you seeing all the love for him on Friday? What would Kid Keely have made out of that moment? Um, first of all, I refer to her as Lil Keely. Lil Keely. Um, <laughs> and the thing is, I had actually seen reggie before i had interviewed him before so this wasn't the first like reggie interaction that i had had why don't you tell about the interaction of that game i have told about this interaction <laughs> when we were at oast christian versus helix you know the or to see isaac taylor stewart to see Kayvon thibodeau to see bo calvert who was not playing he was injured uh, but to see those guys and reggie was there because he was i don't think he was helping out helix a little bit like helping he was kind of coaching on the side kind of coaching i don't think he was like officially on staff or anything he looked really fresh in his sweater game um but there apparently was a ucla former player there (laughs) so okay so here's the thing game ends i'm gonna go get an interview with reggie bush i happened to see one of my favorite all-time ucla players at the time i've told this on this podcast before and everyone's hating me right now (laughs) And I really want to talk to him. I didn't talk to him. I was really sad. I talked to Reggie Bush. I was so nervous. This was before USC was going to play Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. I was so nervous. I couldn't say Ohio State. I said Iowa State. And he was like, Iowa? What are you talking about? So I had to redo the question again. But the thing is, like, my memories of Reggie are fuzzy because I was like 9, 10 around that time. Oh, she's just a baby. A little baby. And so after Reggie actually left is when I really became like fully into college football. I do remember the 2005 game, UCLA, USC game, and murdered UCLA. I remember that. But the thing is, it's like since it was fuzzy for me, my Reggie understanding has been through the eyes of USC fans and how excited fans are about him. And that to me I think is cooler than how little Keeley would perceive him because – Fans love him so much. Like when I was tweeting out videos of him at the game on Saturday, people were quote tweeting and being like, I'm crying right now. And I was like, <laughs> it's crazy what this guy means to SC fans. So in that sense, it w- it wasn't weird. It was cool. You you get the historicness with Reggie. You get the coolness. So for me as a college football fan in general, it was like, this is really cool to see him back in this moment. So I'm just disappointed I didn't get to watch him live. That'd been so much fun. Yeah, that yeah. Electric. For sure. So there you go. Lil Keely was subdued, but if Lil Keely was there, Lil Keely was very petty as a, a college football fan, so it probably wouldn't have been good. It's a good thing. Lil Keely was. We mean Big Keely is neutral now. It's still petty in other ways, but not okay. when it comes to okay. as a sports gotcha. fan. Yeah, let's move on to our final question. It's another one from Mebet. Actually, she sent it to us as we posted our last podcast, but she says. Now that Lin Swan has quote unquote resigned and the team is underperforming again, should a permanent AD be in place first before firing Clay Helton, or should Helton be fired first before naming a permanent AD? Thanks for a- answering my question in advance. Keep feuding and fight on. I'm actually going to refer you guys to the recruiting podcast, and Gerard went over his scenarios for this, which I thought were very interesting. You know, if I was doing it, I would want it, it doesn't really matter the timing, I don't think. If you decide as an athletic department that Helton's not the guy, then it doesn't matter if he's fired before or after you get an AD. It just matters. The athletic director, you know, gets to choose basically um, if that's what the decision is made. So uh, then the question becomes who makes that decision? Who's the brain trust that decides that my point is that it it doesn't really matter. You know, if it's the determination within the athletic department is that he's not the guy, it doesn't matter if you fire him before or after you get the AD. It's an overall thing because, granted, the season could go well. It's about what you actually want as a department with Clay Helton. And to an extent, it comes down to who has the final say there. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want it, the athletic director to have the say, or is it the athletic department to have the say? You know, if it's the athletic department making the decision, then you can make it whenever. If you want the athletic director to have full control, then you have to wait until they get in there and then let them make the decision. Um, and maybe, you know, if you make the decision before, maybe that tells an athletic director like, hey, you know, my opinion is not valued. I'm not going to get as much control as I want there. And they don't come. You know, those are all factors that could play into it. It will be interesting to see. Never a dull moment at USC for sure. But that's going to wrap it up for our podcast. Any final thoughts, Shaka? Big game this weekend for USC. Yep. Obviously, we talked about the implications in the Pac-12, but 
Also, can this team win on the road? That's been a question mark with, with Clay Helton's teams the last year and a half or so. How does this team come out? You know, I think that Washington has a lot of matchups they can exploit in this game against mm-hmm. USC. How does USC deal with the injuries? A lot of question marks this weekend. For sure. So we'll see what happens on Saturday afternoon, which means Keeley gets to go out Saturday night. Hey, look, you get to go explore Seattle. Oh, what? I'm excited. It'll nice. be fun. Yeah, it's a big game. I'm just curious about the parallels of this was Clay Helton's best one on the road. What is this team going to be? And Clay Helton has said to a parallel of 2016, this is a special team. We're going to do special things by the end of the season. This is the start. If you want to do that, if you want to live up to how you've been hyping this team, you got to get it done at, at UW. So I'm really curious to see how this goes. But also remember how they won that game. Special plays by special players. Dory Jackson with two interceptions. Uh, Sam Darnold rolling out and finding Daniel Mortabebe in the back of the end zone. Those are two highlights that stand out to me. You know, th- those are the type of plays you need. You need Michael Pittman to make a play. You need a Talanoa Hufunga or a Palia Nantiote. You need those guys to make special plays that win you ball games. So we'll see if someone steps up and does that. You know, obviously, if they win this game, it, it would be fantastic for the fan base if they win this game just because of the rivalry being next and Notre Dame. And USC moves up into the top 15, so it's a top 15 matchup. College game day? Oh, never know. You never know. We'll see. We shall see indeed. But that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks so much for listening and sending us your questions and submissions to the podcast. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next week. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.